to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read a couple of verses there in just a second. 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been in a series, as I mentioned, on spiritual gifts for a few months. And we had planned to jump right into another series today, but I actually felt this week just a little bit of a shift of direction. And rather than jumping right into another series, we're just going to, through the month of August, uh, we're just going to share things that we feel the Lord's putting on our heart. And uh, so this is, um, it's perhaps not real polished and put together. Maybe it's just, it's right, right off the grill, okay? And uh, so today I want to speak to you um, today on the topic of identity. And uh, if you're taking notes today, you can title this message, The True You. Discovering your identity in Christ. And uh, Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 9, verse 10. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You didn't know you were royalty, but you were royalty. A, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what Nate was talking about. All of us started in darkness. We've been brought into light as we follow Jesus. Listen to this. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Anybody thankful for mercy? Amen. Peter here is talking about identity, and as I think about that, I was thinking this week about a song that we've been singing uh, for a few weeks now, or maybe for a month now, and uh, it's a great song. That it's just a powerful declaration. It's actually an old song that's been made new again, and, and the song is just called, God, You're So Good. God, You're So Good. How many of you remember when that song was new the first time? You remember that, God, you're so good, God, you're so good. It's a simple song. It just says, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good to me. And I love this bridge that has been added into this song in this updated version. And it says, I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. What an awesome declaration of identity. And, you know, as we were singing that song a couple of weeks ago, I thought, you know, some people may hear that and, you know, religious nitpicks may say, what are we doing singing about myself? That's not worship. It's just, it's I am blessed. But here's what I want you to understand is that when you see how good God is, when you declare the greatness of God, the bigness of God, the the power of God, the love of God, when you begin to see and get a revelation of who God is, 
It's then that you begin to get an understanding of who you are. I think about what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that I saw, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And then he goes on to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, he saw his own unworthiness. He saw his own identity. God didn't call him unworthy. He called himself unworthy. God called him chosen. He called him blessed. He called him whole. And here's what I want us to understand today. It's that when we see who God is, we come to understand who we are. And we live in a world that is, uh, there, there's an identity crisis in our world. I don't know if you realize this, and let me just say this, that's not a new thing. It's called humanity, right? And, uh, but there's a lot of conversation today around the topic of identity and whether it's um, identity politics or other, you know, discussions around identity, you don't have to look very far or have many conversations before you understand that there is a hunger and a longing for identity. And uh, I believe that is the longing of all of humanity. All of humanity is longing for identity. They, they may say it in different ways, but every single one of us has a hunger for identity. One of the most basic questions of life, even as we are children, we are asking this question, perhaps not verbally, but we are taking it in, and it is the question, who am I? Who am I? And we're learning, even from a young age, our identity in relation to other people around us. But I, I want you to understand the reason I believe that every one of us and all of humanity has a longing for identity is, is because God is an identity giver. God's an identity giver. You see, your identity has to be discovered in relationship to something else. If I said, what is this? You would say it's a water bottle. The only reason you can identify this as a water bottle is because you have some sort of context or frame of reference on what a water bottle is. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah? Everybody tracking with me? You had your coffee this morning? And so, praise God for coffee. See, I told you it's spiritual. Somebody brewed the coffee this morning and... The, the, the drips go down and the praise go up, right? <laughs> and, uh, but we all have a longing for identity because God is an identity giver. You see, he's the ultimate source of identity. And when God made mankind, unlike everything else in creation, the Bible says this, that when he made man, he said, let us make man in our image, in our image image. I, I want you to understand that regardless of your external appearance, regardless of where you have come from, regardless of, uh, of how you may identify yourself the way that God identifies you is that you bear his image. God loves you just like a father loves his child when a child is born, not because that child has earned anything good. If anybody's had a new baby, you understand they do nothing to earn your love. They poop, they sleep, 
and they eat, and you just love them. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, it just does not make any sense. Why is it? Because they have come from you. They are bearing your image. And God's an image giver. God's nature is that he is an image giver. And we are reflecting the image of God. God is an image giver. It's what has, been, has come to be known in the Latin as the Imago Dei, the image of God, that every person is valuable and is important regardless of where they fall on the social ladder or regardless of what their family background is, regardless of what their ethnicity or even physical capability is, every person is equal in the sight of God because they're an image bearer of God. God is an identity giver. He gives identity. But I want you to understand that just as God is an identity giver, Satan is an identity thief. God gives value. He gives affirmation. But the enemy, the Bible says he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now the enemy, Satan, can never, he can never destroy God. So what will he try to do? If he can't get to God, what will he go after? He will go after the image of God. If you want to get to me, go after my kids, right? And so the enemy wants to destroy our identity. Just as God made Adam and Eve in his image, the enemy came up and his temptation was, eat of the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil, then you will be like God. Now here's the thing, they were already like God. They had been made in the image of of God, what was the enemy doing? He was questioning their identity. You see, every temptation at its root is a challenge to your identity. It is a challenge to accept a false identity. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, just after his baptism, when The heavens are opened and the Holy Spirit descends on him and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now what had had Jesus done? What God-like stuff had Jesus done at that point? Nothing. Nothing. He was just kind of a regular guy up until that point. And God affirms his identity and immediately his life is transformed, but not long after, the enemy comes, and here's, what, here's his opening line to Jesus. Satan says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, what is he doing? He is casting doubt and trying to create insecurity regarding his identity. He's saying this, You need to earn the identity that God has actually given to you. You see, oftentimes we try to establish our identity through our activity. What we do determines who we are is how we feel. 
That's what the enemy tells us, but God says, no, not your activity determines your identity, but your identity determines your activity. Who you are determines what you do. And so here's what I want you to know is that the most important issue in your personal life is, first of all, who is God, but then as you recognize who God is, the most important issue is who determines your identity. What is your identity? God is an identity giver, but Satan is an identity thief. I heard a story recently about a man who suffered identity loss. Uh, In 2004, this man was found uh, behind a dumpster in a Burger King parking lot in Georgia. And uh, he was found unconscious, seemingly lifeless, um, laying behind the dumpster. And um, they took him to the hospital, and there was, it was a number of days before he um, became conscious, but he had been beaten, he had been stripped naked, he had no form of identity on him. And so there was no way for, for the people that found him to determine who he was. He had lost all of his forms of identity. And then when he came out of the, uh, out of the when he came conscious, became conscious, not only had he lost his driver's license and all his forms of identity, but he also had lost his memory. So he didn't remember who he was. In fact, uh, he, uh, there was a money raised for him to, to have cataracts removed off of his eyes. And when he went to the mirror for the first time, he saw that he was actually 20 years older than he thought he was. Some of you know what that's like. That was your experience this morning. You went to the mirror and you're like, ah, no, that is not who I am, right? And, and this man had no identity. In the hospital, he was referred to as Burger King Doe. Not much of an identity. And even as he, he began to recover from this incident, uh, this incident he, he had no recollection. He remembered that perhaps his name was Benjamin, which it actually turned out not to be. But he thought that maybe it was Benjamin. And then he saw a, another nameplate in the hospital that said Kyle. So he said, I'm just going to take that name, Benjamin Kyle. And he lived out his next 11 years without a, a true identity, living under this alias of Benjamin Kyle. He wasn't able to find a job. He wasn't able to get a house. He lived off of the generosity of other people for 11 years. You see, here's what I want you to understand is that if if someone can destroy your identity, they can destroy your life. And if you don't have a true sense of identity, you will begin to look at everything else around you to give you identity. Just as he began to look and say, Brandon, Kyle, I'll take that on. That will be my identity. If you don't know who God has made you to be, the world will put all kinds of labels and names on you. False identity. And many of us, many people in the world today live under a false identity. They don't live under the identity that they have as children of God, made in the image of God. They're looking for identity from the world around them. They begin to look for identity in people, in their family, in their friends. They begin to look for identity in their 
job and their career. They begin to look for identity in their relationships, whether they're married or single or what their, uh, what, what their relationship status is. They begin to look for identity in their experience and what they've accomplished. They begin to look for identity in their ability and the power that they have within themselves because the enemy is an identity thief. But here's the good news is that just as the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to, to destroy, Jesus came to give life. And he came to give an identity. Jesus is an identity restorer. He's an identity restorer. In fact, the Bible gives us our identity over 75 times in the New Testament. The Scripture gives us our identity, our primary identity in this phrase, in Christ. You see, although we were created in the image of God, and although the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus has restored our identity. And if we put our faith in Jesus, if we are following Jesus, we have a new identity. That identity is in Christ. Now, whatever you are in the natural that comes under the identity of being in Christ. Paul said it this way, there's no longer slaves nor free, there's no longer barbarians or Scythians, there's no longer Jews nor Greek. In other words, whatever, however you identified yourself before coming to Jesus, when you come to Jesus, you have a new identity in Christ. A new identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So whether you're tall or short, whether you're light or dark, whether you're narrow or round, whatever your external identity is, you have a greater identity, and that is in Christ. And here we find in this passage, or this, these verses that we've read from Peter, we find the account of a man who knew what it was to have some identity issues. Peter had been a fisherman, which in that culture meant that he had not been chosen to follow a rabbi. So he was an outsider. He was not thought of as one of the in crowd. Jesus chose him, and then he was up and down, perpetually up and down. Jesus gave him a new name, gave him a new identity. But even after Jesus gave him his new identity, Peter, even after that, denied Jesus. He still struggled to walk out his new identity. So I'm glad to tell you today that if you've had some identity issues in your life, the Bible speaks to that. And here we see Peter speaking to a group of people, a group of Jesus followers who were not Jewish people, they were cultural outsiders, and he's giving them an understanding of what their identity is in Christ. And I believe there's five marks of identity that Peter gives us in this passage, passage, just like you've got five fingerprints on your hand. If I had twice the time, I'd give you ten. But I, there's five, 
And so I'm going to give you five marks of your identity. Everybody hold up your hand. Five marks of identity out of this passage today. And so if you have your Bible, I'm just going to point these out, and then I'm going to explain them a little bit. Peter says this, but you are chosen. Circle that word chosen. You are chosen, a chosen generation. He says you are a royal priesthood. Circle that word royal. Because everybody has your Bible, so circle that word royal. Just kidding, you don't have your Bible, obviously. Um, (laughs) Highlight it, whatever. You have a photographic memory, so you'll remember it. You're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. Holy, circle that word holy nation. His own. You say, what in the world does this mean? Royal, holy, chosen, I'm going to explain it to you. Holy, you are his own. Circle that. And he goes on in verse 3 to say this, that you are now the people of God. Circle that people of God. And then he finishes by saying this, you who had not obtained mercy now have obtained mercy. Circle that, obtained mercy. Five marks of your identity. I'm going to explain those to you. The first mark of your identity is this. If you want to understand your identity in Christ, you need to understand that I am completely accepted. Peter says it this way. You are a chosen generation. You've been chosen. You have been completely accepted. Now, probably all of us can relate to a moment in time when we felt like we were rejected. Do you remember that terrible practice in school of picking teams? (laughs) I am still processing that. They would go down the line. We'll take him. We'll take her. We'll take her. We'll take him. They'd go all the way down the line. Then there's the one last person left, and they're like, you take him. I'm a liability, right? They don't even want me on the team. Like the extra man, and they don't want me. And whether you were that way or not, all of us have had a moment in time where we have felt rejected. We have felt the wounds of rejection, of not being wanted. Perhaps you were passed up for a job that you thought you were qualified for, but you weren't chosen for the job, and it shook your sense of identity. Perhaps You were in a relationship and and perhaps you went through a breakup or perhaps you went through a divorce and you feel like, I'm not chosen. But I, I want you to understand that in Jesus, every one of us have been chosen by God. You see, all of us have a longing for belonging. We all have a longing for belonging that whether we recognize it or not, it motivates so much of what we do. Why do you dress the way you dress? Why do you, oftentimes it's to fit in. Why do you drive the car that you drive? Oftentimes it's not just because you like that car, it's because you want to identify with that car. I want to drive a Volkswagen, not just because I like a Volkswagen, but I want to be like a Euro modern cool person. (laughs) So I'm going to drive a Volkswagen. Not just because I want a Volkswagen, but because I want to be the type of person that drives a Volkswagen. 
right? I dr- you may drive a big Ford truck, not just because you like the Ford truck, but because you want to be the kind of person who identifies as a Ford truck or a Chevy truck. <laughs> we all have a longing for belonging. We all want to fit in. Why do people talk about their sports team and use we? We won. Like, I think you were over there eating wings. I'm not sure how that qualifies you. What is it? We all want to identify with a a place of belonging. We all want to feel accepted. And the reality is that regardless of where we fit in, who we identify with, if we find our identity in people, we will always find ourselves in a place of insecure identity. If your identity is determined by the people that you fit in with, you are setting yourself up for an identity crisis. But the Bible says that we have been chose by him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world... In other words, before God made anything, he goes, he's mine, she's mine. He wasn't waiting till the end of the line, and then he's like, that's the leftovers, okay, I guess I'll take them. He's going, before anything else, he's mine, she's mine. Now, let me tell you this, that may be confusing to you because you may feel like, well, he didn't choose me, I chose him. And there is a need for us to respond to him, but even the drawing that you have in your heart is not because you're just a good chooser and you're going to choose God. It's because God has chosen you. He is drawing you. He has accepted you in Jesus Christ. So the first point of our identity is that I'm completely accepted. The second thing is not only am I accepted, not only am I completely accepted, but I'm extremely valuable. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm kind of a big deal. I am extremely valuable. Look at what Peter says. He says, you are a holy nation. You may feel like, well, I don't look very holy. I don't feel very holy. I didn't behave very holy this week. The Bible says you are a holy nation, his own special people. What's Peter saying? Peter is saying you are valuable. You are valuable. Now, there's a few things that determine value. Anybody ever watch the, is it Antiques Roadshow? Any garage sale maniacs in the house today? My wife's in the other room. She would be cheering right now. She's got an eye for value. She she has an eye to see things. And I'm like, that's junk. She's like, no. And then she resells it for 10 times what she bought it for. And I'm like, okay, babe, here's your garage sale budget. Just invest. We're investing all our assets invested in the garage sale. (laughs) But there's a few things that, that determine worth. One is Rarity. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. If it's rare or not. 
This word holy, what does holy mean? Holy means it's set apart. If you could listen into heaven today, what would heaven be saying about God? It would be saying, holy, 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 and then it would be saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. What, it's, what, what are they saying? You are valuable. God is valuable because you're not like everything else or everyone else. You are holy. You are set apart from everything else. Sometimes when companies make a new product, they make a limited run of something. And they do that because the more rare a, an object is, the more valuable it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? And, and Peter says that, that you are holy. You are set apart. You're not like everyone else. You are holy. Another thing that gives value is ownership. Peter goes on to say you're a holy nation. You're his own special people. God looks at you and he says, "That's I want that one. You belong to God in Jesus. Ownership increases value. If I told you, you know, I'd sell you these shoes for, I'd like to sell these shoes to the highest bidder. Can I get a bid? Go along. No, no takers. Okay, but what if I said, these shoes, are, they've been worn by Michael Jordan. These are his, Michael Jordan's shoes. How many of you know Justin Johnson's shoes? are like, ugh, get that away. Michael Jordan's shoes. I did say Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan's shoes. It'd be like, here, let me buy those. Why? Everybody tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? It, because ownership increases value. If you, you know, if there was a, a famous person that used to own your house, if you list your house at the top of that listing, you're going to say, formerly lived in by Tiger Woods, right? <laughs> right, because it's a selling point. It will increase the value. Maybe not Tiger Woods, bad example, but <laughs> like, I don't know if I want that house. That's not a good place. But ownership increases value. Not only does ownership increase value, but ultimately the value of something is, is, is simply determined by what someone is willing to pay. Again, using the illustration of selling your house, I don't know how much your house is worth. I don't know where you live. Most of us, our houses are probably not worth as much as we'd like to sell them for, right? But Without even being a realtor, I can tell you right now what your house is worth. Your house is worth exactly what someone is willing to buy it for. It's, it's worth exactly what someone is willing to buy it for. It's not worth a penny more, and it's not worth a penny less. The, the value, market value determines, or market price determines the value, and you may not feel very valuable today, but I want you to know that you are valuable to God. How do we know that you're valuable to God? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7.23 that you have been bought at a price. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. The most valuable thing in all of the world has been paid for your redemption. You are valuable regardless of what your net worth is. 
regardless of the car you drive, regardless of what zip code you live in, your value does not come from your financial net worth. Your value comes from the fact that you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. Paul says, therefore, do not become slaves of men. What is a slave? A slave is a person who gets their value from men. A slave's value is determined by men. And Paul says this, you were bought at a price. You've been paid for with the blood of Jesus. You're the most valuable thing in the world. Why? Because Jesus Christ has bought you. He's redeemed you with his blood. Therefore, do not become, come on, let's give it the Lord praise. Therefore, do not be slaves of men. Regardless of where you fall in the organizational hierarchy, your value does not come from that. Your value comes from God, your holy people, his own special people. So our identity is that we are completely accepted, that we are extremely valuable. Number three, he says this, your value is, the third point is that my identity is that I am eternally loved. I am eternally loved. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. You ever played that game before? He loves me not. Well, it's been settled once and for all for you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Peter says this, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. In other words, he says, not only have I chosen you, but, but you are mine. You see, every person wants to be loved. Every person wants someone to say to them, you are mine. Why is sexuality such a, 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 a so related to our identity, because sexuality ultimately is an expression of acceptance. It's, a, it's a, an expression of being fully known and being fully accepted. And here's what I want you to understand. Although people oftentimes find their identity in the love of others, that regardless of your external identity or your relationship status, you are loved by God. You see, if you put your identity in your relationship status or any other uh, sexual identity or anything else as your primary identity, you will always end up insecure. Why? Because that relationship is based on their love for you, and regardless of how much they love you, there is no person who loves unconditionally. The fact is that although my wife is just absolutely, completely crazy about me, I mean, can't control herself. There are things that I could do that would cause her uh, to stop loving me. There are things that I could do that would stop that. But when it comes to God's love for you, his love is unending. 
Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love of God is the only secure relationship to find your identity in. You see, marriage, relationships, they're a great shadow of love, but they're not a good source of love. What does a shadow do? A shadow causes you to look to something else. And that's what marriage, and that's what relationships, and that's what sexuality are meant to be. They're only meant to be a shadow, an expression of a greater love. It's a great expression of love. That's why God gave us sexuality as an expression within within His intended purpose in marriage, that it would be a covenant commitment to demonstrate His love for us. It's a wonderful expression of love, but it's a terrible source of love. If you put your identity in who loves you and who you love, you will find yourself insecure in your identity. St. Augustine, we know St. Augustine up the street, but St. Augustine was a, a theologian and a saint in the church, but he wasn't always a saint. That wasn't always his identity. In fact, he used to be called Augie. That's his nickname. Because before he was awakened to his true identity in Christ, he was looking for identity in relationships. He was a, quite a, a playboy, St. Augustine. Sorry if I just ruined the city for you, but he, he was known for having lots of women. And then one day he was awakened to his identity in Jesus. And history tells us this story. Uh, and it's a, a funny story that one day Augustine was walking down the street, walking through the city, and he heard a voice behind him that said, Augustine, Augustine, or Augie, Augie. And uh, he recognized it as the voice of one of his former lovers, so he walked a little bit faster. Some of you got some people like that. You just walk a little faster when you see him, right? And uh, he walked faster to get away from her, and she walked faster to get catch back up with him. And he walked faster, and she walked faster. Finally, he couldn't walk any faster anymore, and he stopped, and he turned around, and she said, Augustine, it is I. And, and he said, yes, but it is not I. What was he saying? I'm not the man that you used to know. I'm not the man anymore that found his identity in the love and acceptance of others. I now find my identity in the love of God. The good news is for you today, let me say this, regardless of your sexual identity, regardless of your relationship status, if you are a follower of Jesus, that usurps every other identity that you have, and that says that you are loved and you are fully accepted by God. Amen? Now, let me say this. Out of that identity, then we begin to unpack all of the relationships around us. So if I'm loved by God, that will affect how I love my spouse if I'm loved by God, then that affects how I use my body in an expression of love for others because my identity is not found in what I do, it's found in who I am. Re recently reading a, a book called Atomic Habits, and in that book, uh, the author of that book talks about basically about breaking habits, about creating new habits, and he says this, there's two ways to break 
a habit. He says, if someone has a, a bad habit, maybe they want to quit smoking, they can try to quit smoking through a, through a, uh, an outcome uh, uh, approach, which is basically, I don't want to smoke because it will make me unhealthy. Or they can, tr- they can stop smoking, not through an outcome approach, but through an identity approach. approach. Outcome approach, when your friend lights up, that says, I'm really trying to quit smoking. I know I shouldn't smoke, but I probably, I'm going to go ahead and smoke. That's what the outcome result, the, the outcome approach says. The identity approach says, I'm not a smoker, therefore I won't smoke. And so when we recognize our identity, it it transforms the way we live our lives. It transforms the way we approach relationships with others. Number four, how do we understand our identity? Number four is this, that not only am I completely accepted, extremely valuable, eternally loved, but I'm also totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. Peter says this, you were once a people who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. What what is mercy? Mercy is that I don't get what I deserve. Many people find their identity in their accomplishments, in what they have accomplished, what I've done. You ever met someone like that that they, they seem like they're in a perpetual job interview. Every time you meet them, they're telling you about all the things that they've done. You're like, you're hired. There's no, there, I don't know, there's no job here, but you're amazing. <laughs> you ever met somebody like that? If you're sitting by them, don't look at them, just look straight ahead. But I remember in school, I took a, a, in my senior year, I took this class where they were teaching you about how to put together a resume and how to interview, and, um, and I remember my teacher saying this, when you go to an interview, you got to, you know, really make your strengths look good, and then if they ask you what your weaknesses are, you can't say, I don't have any weaknesses, because they'll know you're lying. So what you have to do is you have to take strengths and you make them sound like a weakness. So when they say, what's a weakness, you're like, you know, this is hard for me to admit, but I'm a workaholic, and I just don't know when to quit, and I take work home with me, and it's a big problem, and I just want you to know that if I start this job, that this is something I'm dealing with, you know, and they're, it's like, perfect, right? And um, <laughs> what was he saying? He said, you've got to hide your, your weaknesses, Put, put your strengths out and hide your weaknesses. And all of us, we all have a tendency to, to do that. And of course, there's an appropriate place to, to be vulnerable and be open. But the problem with accomplishment identity, the problem with looking for ident- our identity in what we've done, it may be good for everybody else, but the problem is us because we know that we're not proud of everything that we've done. Anybody else here, you've done some things you're not proud of? Anybody? A few of us? Yep. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I remember on a Sunday morning one time I was getting ready for church, and um, I remember I was doing my hair. <laughs> and uh, beautiful hair, beautiful hair. 
and I was doing my hair, and I couldn't quite get my hair in the right place. That's the moment when God said, we got an identity issue here, okay? I couldn't get my hair in quite the right place, and I got so frustrated, I had the, the moose. I had the L.A. looks. I had all the uh, brushes. I was trying to get it just right, and I, couldn't, I got so frustrated, I kicked the cabinet in front of me. Like I said, identity issues. I kicked the cabinet in front of me, and I remember when I kicked it, my foot went through the cabinet, and I thought, oh, boy. I got to put this thing back together. So I kind of like fit the wood grain together so it would hold together in place. And then I went to church, praise the Lord. And I didn't tell anybody, but you know, on the inside, I had this feeling, somebody's going to find out. What is going to happen when somebody finds out? And I remember I, I sought the Lord that day and uh, I remember I went home from church, and after lunch, I remember I hear this voice from across the house, boys, that's how he says it, boys, who broke the cabinet? I think it was probably Jared, I don't know, I think. <laughs> and uh, I remember I went in, I said, Dad, I broke the cabinet, do you remember this? And uh, I said, Dad, I broke the cabinet. And he said, okay, come on, son, we're going to Home Depot. And although I didn't know how to fix a cabinet, my carpentry skills weren't very good, they still aren't, I didn't know how to fix a cabinet, and I didn't have the money to fix a cabinet, my father fixed the cabinet. He fixed what I had broken. And there's some of us that, Allow areas of brokenness in our life to rob us of our identity. Maybe even you're here today and you think, man, if somebody ever knew what I've done, how could they ever love me? i got to keep this front up. But let me tell you, God knows you. God loves you. And through Jesus Christ, your Father has fixed the cabinet. He's paid for it. And He's fixed it so that you can be completely forgiven. I've still not gotten an invoice for that. It was paid once and for all. The Bible says this, that in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. There's one thing that God does not remember, and that is the sins of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The areas of your brokenness are completely forgiven, so your identity is not controlled by the things you have done in the past. You are free in Jesus. And number five, not only am I completely accepted, not only am I extremely valuable, eternally loved, and totally forgiven, but number five, I am fully capable. I am fully capable. Look at what Peter says. He says, in 1 Peter 2, 9, that you are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You say, what in the world does that mean? There's two parts to it. Royalty is speaking of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you realize that, but God is a king and God has a kingdom. And what does every king want? He wants to expand his kingdom. 
And so God is expanding his kingdom. And how is he expanding his kingdom? Through priests, royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest is a person who represents people to God and represents God to people. You may say, I'm not a priest. I've never been to school for that. I'm not studied. I don't know the Bible well enough. No, the Bible says you're a royal priesthood. In other words, you are God's field rep. If a company wants to go global, if they want to take a product around the world, what do they do? They don't just set up, set up one flagship. They don't just get one expert. They're going to have to have some field reps, right? They're going to have to have some field agents. They're going to have to have some brand ambassadors. And God's saying this, I want my love, my goodness, my grace. I want it to fill the earth. And so how am I going to do it? I'm not just going to set up a headquarters somewhere and try to get everybody to it. I'm going to get some national reps and I'm going to get some state reps and I'm going to get some, some district and some local reps. They are the royal priesthood. You're God's representative wherever you're at. You may say, I'm not capable of that. Well, he has given you the plan of how to do it through his word, and he's also given you the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. In other words, wherever God has put you, you are fully capable. I don't know what's ahead of you this week. I don't know what your job has in store for you, but I want you to know that if God has put you there, he's given you the ability to do what he's called you to do. So your identity is secure. You don't have to wonder. You ever been in a job and you feel like, I'm just faking this. I'm just trying to fake it till I make it. Well, you don't have to fake it any longer. You need to know, regardless of what your credentials are, that God has made you capable. Peter is, is writing this as living proof. Most Bible colleges would have kicked him out. Most... Schools would have said, you never will make the cut, but God said, he's the one I want. I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give him the power to do what I've called him to do. So what is your identity? Peter says this, that your identity is one that I am capable in Christ. I am valuable, in, uh, one I'm acceptable in Christ. I am valuable in Christ. I am lovable in Christ. I am forgivable in Christ, and I am capable in Christ. Amen. I want to ask you if you would to stand to your feet today. Worship team, you guys can come back up.